Welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast with the science and the screaming to determine the best movie for any given year. I'm your host, Greg. This season, we are tackling 1973, nearly lost to the mists of time, but we are recovering it one movie at a time. Of course, I could not take this journey without my very special friend, my bosom chum, my constant companion, and winner from last week's show, Ryan. How you doing, Ryan? Bosomed chum, really? Yeah, bosom, bosom, bosom chum. For me, that's a big compliment. You're talking about my chestnuts, my, <laughs> my man boobs. Ryan, I would never do that, but I will give you a point to to make up for it. Ryan, the movie we are talking about tonight is a little feel-good comedy, dramedy question mark called Paper Moon, and to join us. We have our very own young hip sensation. No, it's not Mike. It's someone even better. Mike called in fat. I'm fat, so I burp and fart. He he said because he was so fat, uh, he could not come in because he was burping and farting so much. Uh, So we had to bring in T, T Money, Taylor. How are you doing, Taylor? I'm feeling so young. That's what, that's how I'm feeling. <laughs> now, is is bosom chum that thing when a movie will put in like a breastfeeding scene to draw out the perverts? <laughs> it's that thing where two male historical figures uh, are such good friends that they live with each other for 40 years and sleep in the same bed because they're just like, we are buddies, two confirmed bachelors. Just two bachelors need- loving being guys, being dudes. <laughs> but... The fact that me, you, and Mike all sleep in the same bed with the same pajamas, that's different. Because yeah. there's three of us, and it's not two. Because, frankly, we don't like each other that much. Right. <laughs> if we could afford more than one bed, I think that we would all sleep in our own bed. And Mike spends half the night on the toilet <laughs> anyway, so it's really just the, the two of us there. So a- as, I me- as I mentioned, we are doing 1973's Paper Moon. Now... 1973 is back before even the Greybeards on the show were born, Ryan. Uh, so do you have any sort of any history with it? Did you Had you seen the movie before this viewing? Believe it or not, Greg, I had not seen this movie before. Uh, I had heard of it, was a fan of this director. I was in the past a fan of this director, and we'll get into the, uh, that a little bit later. Peter Bogdanovich? Bogdanovich. Bogdanovich. Um, but, you know, it had always been on my radar. I always wanted to see it because uh, Academy Award winner, you know how much we all love the Oscars here. Um, it, it has enemy of the show, Ryan O'Neill. Has enemy of the show, uh, Barry Lyndon himself, <laughs> and uh, you know, famously, father and daughter acting together. Um, so yeah, I've always wanted to see it, and now finally did. Now you have. So thank you, movie of the year. <laughs> I love what your tone of voice and face are telling me about your inner thoughts, uh, Taylor. Had you ever heard of this movie? Had you ever seen it before? What's your personal history with this movie? Um, I did find out as I was watching it that it is not uh, Paper Towns and it is also not Moonrise Kingdom. So it was no, neither of those, those movies, which uh, was my first impression when I heard the title. But I did realize as I was watching it, this oh, this is the movie that I've seen some of my friends on Letterboxd review and say, uh, this is nice uh, and such <laughs> things. Uh, so... It, yeah, I, that was my entire experience with it. And for the most part, I, I don't think that I've ever actually seen another Bogdanovich uh, picture. So this was my exposure to him. Ah. And I was like, 
great. I get I get to knock another one of these old bastards off. <laughs> my own personal history with it is this is from like my parents. They don't make them like this anymore. Collection, and they would put it on occasionally when I was a kid. And I think because it was black and white, uh, and I knew that it had come out before I was born. I legit thought this movie was, like, from the 40s. This is, yeah, this goes uh, under the Godfather category of this is an old movie about even older movies. Yes, yeah, and when you are, like, a hip, fresh 80s kid, Mm -hmm. you know, and you've got that boombox on the shoulder and you're skateboarding everywhere. I'm sorry, Greg, did you wear, uh, like, rollerblades on top of a skateboard everywhere you went? I would. I would do that. But you know what? I would never wear, Ryan, British Knights. No. Because the PK could stand for blood killers, and I was afraid. Somebody would come to my neighborhood and see me <laughs> come to the mean Rossmore streets. You'd always wear equal blue and red. so Just in case. Cover your bets. Cover your bets. I'm wearing a red shirt and, and blue jeans right now, just in case. Hey, everybody. If there's going to be a rumble, I just snap to the music, and I back away into the shadows. Um, but so, yeah, I watched this movie a few times when I was a kid, and I loved it. And I was just like, man, this is just this is so great. Uh, and I have to say, uh, watching it this time, um, I just kept thinking, like, yo, this is your daughter? <laughs> like, w- uh, this, why'd you guys, why'd you do this? Why would you, and, like, then being like, and I'm just going to check in with the old mental, the brain box here and just see, like, I'm going to run Tatum O'Neill, the, the young actress in this, through the old, and I want to, and it's like she just recently almost almost died of an overdose. Her life has been very, very difficult, and so, there's this like kind of like the movie is is very nice and it's kind of redemptive of these ne'er do well characters, and then the reality is kind of like bleak. I think though that this was when Ryan O'Neill had Tatum. That was the first generation that there was children, so we okay. had we had okay. no idea that like stuff could happen right. like that. You know, not that we're gonna play this card a lot, but Ryan is a dad, right? And so as the resident dad on the show, he knows things about like dad history, like. If anything about grilling comes up, we look right to Ryan. Yeah, I'm here for that. Lawn mowing. Um, the one thing I've discovered, Ryan, as a non-dad, but as a, just a middle-aged gentleman with um, no kids who lingers, uh, is that dad jokes are just something you do when you used to be kind of clever, but now you're 42 and you've lost like eight miles on your eight miles per hour on your fastball uh-huh. and so you're just like oh hi hungry I'm a <laughs> random stranger approaching you. I also have lost uh, eight mile. On DVD, <laughs> so I let yeah. somebody borrow it and I need it back. I yeah, lost yeah. it from my memory because I got hit in the head by one of those steel pipes. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Detroit is a crazy place. I, Greg, you bring up an interesting point though. I do want the record to show that a dad joke. We've changed the definition, and I wanted to go back. A dad joke is like hi. Taylor, I'm hu- or hi hungry, I'm Taylor. That's a dad joke because yeah. it's the same fucking shit you use all the time. It's not just any corny joke that you've made up on the spot. Yeah, it's yeah. A, you Some can't just jokes declare can just be bad, right? Yeah, but a dad joke is specifically one that you use constantly because that's all you have in your life because you're a pathetic piece of shit. Yeah. Okay. Well, you're trying to. Bar- I mean, you're barely keeping it together, mm-hmm. right? And you're like, I can't lay on the kid like that. I have seen the bleak face of life, and so I have to be like. <laughs> Right, and it's like, but all I can do is kind of go to the 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 book of dad jokes, right? To do that. Well, on that note, let's skadoosh, skadoosh our way right in to talking about Paper Moon. Paper Moon is a fun little romp about a shady guy and his daughter, flawlessly played by a shady guy, Ryan O'Neill, and his real life ten year old daughter, Tatum O'Neill, 
with whom he has always had a strained relationship. We're going to spend most of the show getting into the whys and the no really whys and the man, but really like whys of this decision. But let's somehow put this aside for now. The movie itself follows a con man and his maybe probably daughter as they con their way across the Midwest, which is basically destroyed and depopulated by a sad sounding thing called the Depression. Shot in black and white and an obvious love letter to old timey stories, Paper Moon is constantly walking the line between charming and bleak. Gentlemen, I ask you this. Why did director Peter Bogdanovich feel that a novel that takes place in the 30s needed to be a movie in 1973? Did he see a connection between 1973 and the Great Depression? Do we see that connection? I mean, I would say, first of all, that like um, as a uh, young man in 2023, the 1900s are all the same like it's just yeah it's who like even who, who can even say it's like hippies on ships uh-huh. right like and they're all going to get gold in california and then bar hills they hit the titanic then they hit the titanic and then yeah there's oil everywhere thank you chevron and there's enough room on the door for everybody <laughs> so come on kate winslet scoot over yeah um titanic came out in 1997 so <laughs> that's why that's included uh, but no, I, I think that um, we've talked about this a lot throughout the season, and this is um, the the things that we think uh, are just always going to be there. These like institutions or um, maybe not laws, but just things that we take for granted not being there anymore. Yeah. These uh, either and you mean s- like in the 30s with like the like whole industries disappearing. I'm talking about both baby yeah I'm talking about both and then the 70s with like watergate water and yeah and like vietnam the, lingering right the just like going to war and the war that isn't like what our parents fought you know like heroic mm-hmm. and uh but just like all the stuff that we took for granted about how awesome the country was just completely evaporating wow. before our eyes and then like so who do we look up to where have you gone joe dimaggio i think that's where what both sort of eras are showing together that were suddenly like leaderless and rudderless exactly taylor do you think that there's something about the depression in the 70s that go together i i think that there's like there's a little bit that goes together like in the way that it sort of you know history kind of rhymes a little bit but i also think there's Mm -hmm. not a a not insignificant portion of it that's just like i think bogdanovich likes the movies and the styling of that old like look like his his, like mentor was orson wells or whatever so i think it's like it's not a big stretch to be like he wanted it to be in black and white and set in the 30s because that's when like that's what he thinks of when he thinks of like orson wells and his buddy he's like man movies sure were great when they were like that don't you think like i think it's the same way that like when people now are making movies that like are shot on like kind of grainy warm film because uh, they're like, yeah. I want it to look like Taxi Driver or whatever. Like, I, I, th- I think that that is also a part of it. Is the sh- like the filmmaking of it all is. Are you calling out Joker, Taylor? I haven't seen Joker, but yes, fuck Joker. What? I'm, d- I'm, d- a I'm the Joker. Startling baby. admission. I'm the Joker, baby. I... How do you come on a podcast devoted to? film with a capital p h as in d and not have seen the joker that is ridiculous to me i or excuse me joker shit it's I not blew it. the joker i always put the article <laughs> hey, oh hey, my god here's, here's some advice 
Drop the the. <laughs> I thought you were say drop fucking dead. What if it was a Joker? <laughs> Just a Joker, right? The indefinite <laughs> article. I love that. Man, aren't we all a Joker? That's the point of the movie. Good job, Brian. I do Brian. think there's a lot to what Taylor said, and I don't well, know. How that's a point for Taylor, then. <laughs> Shit, I think that Taylor's answer was stupid. Oh. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I do think that Bogdanovich is sort of a film fan first, mm. and watching this movie, this is something that has come up a lot recently uh, for me by way of Karina Longworth who uh, just did a very huge podcast about um, by Donovich's partner at the time, Polly Platt. And this is, uh, this is, you must remember this. Yes. And we have, we have to say, we mentioned her sometimes. This is, her podcast is amazing. Second best podcast about movies. And like, honestly, when I say I know things about Hollywood, it's either because I've read the first couple chapters of this book you told me to read, or because I heard her say them on her <laughs> podcast. So we do have to give a major shout out to her. She's amazing. Um, Bogdanovich left his wife, Polly Platt, who was the production designer and maybe the also everything else for his first four movies, I want to say, which includes uh, The Last Picture Show, which is his other, like, super heralded classic. Biggie. Um, And he left her for Civil Shepherd, who then starred in a bunch of his movies. And his career went kaput. Like, the thing that he's known for most after his first four movies is playing Tony Soprano's Shrinks Shrink. Yeah. Um, so it's just, he was this like wonderkind and now he's gone. And I think a lot of people have been credited for this quote, but watching paper moon brought all of this back for me by saying that there is a difference between, um, having talent and shit. What is the quote again? It's like, uh, having talent and having taste. Ah, nice. And watching this movie, I think that Peter Bogdanovich is probably the most famous director to have taste. To have really good taste. To have a really good taste. And watching so much of these shots, um, I think right. that this is an incredibly gorgeous movie. But I don't... I think it's missing so much of that stuff that... You know, and I don't think that you have to like necessarily like be the characters that you're making movies about. You know, like... David Fincher is like making, for instance if you if if the uh, if the if the characters are father and daughter you wouldn't necessarily it doesn't follow there that you would have an acting pair that's a father and a daughter <laughs> you could bring in two different professionals yeah. from two different families for some instance pe- some people just would even to, say that's like a bad right. idea potentially like from a from yeah, just a, uh, from just like psychiatric point of view maybe maybe not uh, good. yeah yeah and you know what I hope we get a chance to rap about that it's just a couple three gentlemen talking about that. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I, that's what the sort of the, the movie looks great, but I think that the decisions were made like Taylor was saying for, for aesthetic reasons. Yes. Alone. Yes. Not alone. Mostly. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that was driving the ship. Like that's how decisions were made. That's how shots were put together. And that ultimately what we're left with maybe is like, or I don't know. Does that, does, do you think that that, that, that negatively affects the whole Taylor that like it, it's individually I, there are strong moments but they don't cohere I don't think that it necessarily negatively affects the whole but I think that it shines I think that it shines through that like if you asked me what the overarching plot of this movie is I couldn't tell you but I I feel warmly about it because I think like I, I sort of to what Ryan was saying like moment to moment I think he's got a very he's got a very good idea of what he wants to be on screen and what the emotions he wants to evoke with that. But he is doing uh-huh. it in such a way like he's 
doing these long shots because he thinks that long like long takes are good like he's you know framing things he ruined a lot of people's lives with those long shots those long shots including his own like (laughs) it's like i think all of that goes into like yes it does make compelling moment moment to moment and there are i could pick out specific scenes it doesn't all come together in necessarily a way yeah. that is like traditionally good. It doesn't negatively impact it, but I see how like if you don't have maybe the voice behind you that is reining you in and helping you out with those pieces, if you let that take you, then you're going to make something that's like unintelligible and is bad. I think that, yeah, I just think that he's such a film school kid and i think that there's so much stuff in here that is so interesting that i want to teach about or i guess talk about like we can talk about it and he's part of this generation of like the 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 film school kids that were just making it right because we think of like george lucas and he's in this weird place where he like that like that rat pack brat pack something that rhymes with rat i'm not sure what word though of uh lucas spielberg scorsese de palma Schrader, all of those guys, he broke out slightly before them. Okay. And so, therefore, I don't know if he ever really totally fit in. Uh, Coppola also in there. Coppola would be, like, the the major granddaddy but of But he all had, them. like, big movies by the time they came around. Right, exactly. Yeah. And everybody knew him. He was a star. He guest hosted The Tonight Show. Like, uh, he had a look. Like, he always wore those... Uh, yes, those glasses. Tinted glasses and the little, like, what do you call <sighs> that thing that Fred from Scooby-Doo wears? Like, the little scarf. Oh, like the ascot? Uh, yeah, he very big in '73. Oh my god, the neckerchief or the uh, the ascot was so huge in '73. And so he became like this his own celebrity that sort of made movies on the side, you know. Yeah. And I've I don't there's something that leaves me cold about it. I have not gone back and watched the Last Picture Show since Karina ruined all of this stuff for me. Uh-huh. I'm nervous too because of how much I love that movie. But um, just to like sort of bring into picture the kind of thing that he does and kind of how film schooly it is. Uh, I want to talk about the scene where um, Ryan O'Neill buys Addie a ticket for the train. Okay. Um, Addie, go, or Casper uh, Van Dean, what's his name? Uh, Moses. Moses. Moses, uh, his, her father, goes up and buys, this is in the beginning of the movie, he's going to send her back to her family. And behind him, and the whole movie is deep focused. Not a single thing in this movie's background is blurry at all. Which means everything in the foreground, everything in the background is just as in focus as it is in the foreground. Ooh. Very purposeful. Uh, behind Moses, who's when he's buying right. the ticket, you can see Addie standing there, just looking off in the distance, very sad. Then when it cuts to the reverse shot, there's the ticket taker, and behind the far in the distance of the ticket taker, you see two kids playing. Uh-huh. And you see the two different types of childhoods that were available, could have been available. And he loves this, like, uh, sort of rhyming thing that Taylor was talking about, about like, here's how things could have been maybe outside of the depression or if Maddie, if Addie had a different And mom, especially for it to be at a train station. Which, like, yeah, is going, yeah. Yeah, yeah, taking you on your path or your journey. This is the shit that you can tell gives Bogdanovich boners all day long. I but think does it give you Addie stuff? Does it give you heart boners? Yeah. Heart boners. It's, I think, I think this is like, he's part of that first generation of guys who like, read the books that the first people who were making like cinema movies wrote if that makes Mm. sense like like this is the first era of people who like watched like 
Orson Welles and Citizen Kane and like all of, all of like the 30s and 40s like and we're like we're going to dissect these and figure out what makes these goods and now those are the laws and then yeah and and then like took all of those pieces oh. and is making movies that way and it's like well if you just simply do long takes if you like uh, juxtapose frames in this certain way that's cinema and so you can you can definitely but, see all of those pieces like floating around and yeah he like loves that he want he does not want a single scene to go by or a single shot to go by without him doing one of those things exactly and do you see like the way that taylor describes it is that in america people like uh forgot his name by donovich are coming out and the way that taylor describes it they sound like scientists yeah. Where, like, if you talk about Godard and Truffaut right before that, they sound like poets. They're doing the same thing. They're doing the same studying of Wells and uh, everybody before that. They know the movies backward and forward, but they sound like poets. They are remixing what they've learned to create new and art, and he feels like a... Uh, like, almost like a large language model. Like, right. that he, it's, like, takes in I mean, all that's these... That's up, but yeah. Takes in all these films that he's seen, and he's like, most likely the next shot would be this one. And then just produces that, but it doesn't have that same heart because it hasn't like passed through a human soul, right? And it, yeah, like that's that's why it takes place in the past. It almost gives him an excuse, like this: I'm gonna make an old, I'm gonna make a movie that takes place in the past, so I can do stuff that happened in the past. Before we uh, close this this segment, I I just couldn't help but point out that we have already had a movie that is full of witty dialogue, shot in an old style, focused on con men. And takes place in 1973. Like, there did feel like there was like something just in the water, right? Like, I mean, th- how is this the same as this thing, and how is it different? How does it deliver the same experiences? Now, uh, like, you know, uh, boilerplate uh, excuses of like we could go through every year and see if they had all of these, you know, um, longing for the past and blah blah blah. But I think that. I think you're exactly right that like there was this deep need of like man didn't it used to be better than now what like even in in the great depression wasn't there something still so wholesome about this country and about the people you know and it reminds me of grapes of wrath right that that Steinbeck's position in grapes of wrath is that the depression caused everybody to pull together and so that there was like a beautiful and I wonder if if 73 and everything falling apart I wonder if that's the beginning of America being like we don't pull together anymore. Right. That's not a thing that happens. It's every man for himself, including within families. A, do- a father and a daughter will have like only their acrimonious relationship drawing them together, not even like love or mutual support or anything like that. It's the fact that they need each other for the con, and they, they're like kind of stuck together. Ed, is it that we don't pull together anymore, or is it artists saying, artists of all, spraying to all fields, saying, we never did, and now it's time for art to reflect that? Yeah, I mean, I wonder how rosy a recollection of the Depression it is that it brought everybody together. A lot of times financial desperation doesn't bring everybody together, and sometimes it brings certain groups together only in opposition to other groups. But The Sting, certainly a cheerier, more fun movie, like, throughout, right? Maybe a better feeling, a cleaner finish. What is it? There's something about The Sting that's more purely enjoyable, I think. Yeah, for sure. And I wouldn't even I don't even know which one's better. I know that we shit on the sting more, but that was sort of like with our uh, nose is pointed upward podcast voices. And I like Paper Moon. I liked it a lot. I just have this like Bogdanovich stink on me and I was expecting a lot more or something different. I don't know. I want to hash that out tonight. But 
both of them are very, very similar, very, very different movies. Yeah. And yet, in, in, touching on all the same points, right? Maybe that goes to underscore the thing we always say on the, on this show, which is that movies can be so many different things that even if they have like eight things that are similar, they can be so different. Right. When we come back, let's get trivial. Trivia. It is time for trivia. I will read the whole question. Please wait until I have finished. And then ring in by saying your name. I will call on you. My answers are final, even if they are provably false. First question. This movie had a short-lived spin-off TV show in 1974 starring what movie of the year star we have never lost contact with? Taylor. Taylor. Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster. T-Money. T-Money. For one year, there was a TV show based on this. The movie, I feel like movies and TV were like, seeding each other back and forth at the, at this time. Maybe that still happens. But with the Continental coming to Peacock. Peacock! Sorry, Mel Gibson? Your favorite actor? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Guys, John Wick, I hot as ever. Let's make a TV spinoff. Who are we going to get to star? Gibby. Mel Gibby. Let's get Mel Gibson is, on the phone. Is he really in the... Uh, that's, he is the this star. Is, this is the first I, time I've heard of this. That's so funny to me. Dude, the country is soft relaunching reintroducing mainstream anti-semitism just like well let's bring back the anti-semitic stars the second season is supposed to star danny masterson so (laughs) danny masterson bud what a great story right what a so nice to finally see somebody get some some modicum of punishment for what they've done all right question the second what was in the cigarettes that young tatum o'neill smokes throughout the movie Taylor. Ryan. Ryan. Was it lettuce? It was lettuce. Uh, I better give you a point. Ryan. Um, what was her reaction to these cigarettes? Taylor. Taylor. She thought they were dank. <laughs> She's like, man, this is that wacky lettuce. Uh, she did not. Ryan. She did not think they were dank. Ryan. Uh, uh, was it full on barf? Yeah, they made her really sick. Uh, just one yeah. of the many ways yeah. in which they were like, we found a workaround. Uh, and the only one who has to suffer is the small child. Uh, she probably would have thrown up more if it was tobacco. Yeah, probably. They should just let her smoke pot. Um, yeah. When Tatum O'Neill won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actress, she, be- she beat what fellow child actress? Oh. Ryan. Ryan. Was it Linda Blair? It was Linda Blair. I really have to remember right. that I've got to give you your points. You get it right, and I'm just like, moving on. <laughs> Taylor's looking cute. There's a point for T-Money. <laughs> All right. Um, is Tatum O'Neill a supporting actress in this movie? Taylor. Taylor. <laughs> no, she's the fucking lead. She's the star. She's the entire movie. Uh, I think that there's straight up, like, this goes with, uh, children and senior citizens, there's a height requirement for lead actress. <laughs> like, and if you're too short, you have to go supporting. Who famously said she was not a supporting actress in this movie? Ryan. Taylor. Ryan. Tatum O'Neill? Uh, Tatum O'Neill did not say it. Taylor? Uh, was it Madeline Kahn? Uh, yeah, Madeline Kahn was like, yeah, um, I was the... I would like that Oscar, I was please. the supporting actress. Also, Peter Bogdanovich was, was like, yeah. Give, give. Wait, is that why this is called a con movie? Because Madeline Kahn did it? 
Um, what did director Peter Bogdanovich think of working with the 10-year-old O'Neal? Ryan. I heard Ryan first. I I he I watched an interview from like ten years ago today, uh-huh. and he seems to have softened his okay. case. But I think he fucking hated it, Greg. Yeah, uh, he said right. it was the most miserable experience of his life. I uh, think there were other people who hated it more. Yes, yeah. I mean, it just it just underscores what a terrible idea it was. Apparently, her very natural seeming performance was him just rating like, yeah and just being like nope this is exactly what i want do it again nope this is exactly what i want do it again and so he was miserable from doing that but imagine being her like having to do the same thing 50 times and then through movie magic <laughs> it just becomes this like very naturalistic performance uh the name of the book this movie is based on is addy prey why was it changed taylor taylor because they thought it sounded better. <laughs> yes, because Bogdanovich was like, I don't like the title of this movie. Uh, Ryan. Uh, Ryan. Uh, just he listened to songs to get into the mood for like rewriting the script. And one of the songs is like, well, we're sitting on a paper moon. <laughs> he was like, hell yeah, let's let's do call it that. Uh, what Titan of Film reportedly told director Peter Bogdanovich that the title Paper Moon was so good that he should just release the title and forget about the picture. Taylor. <laughs> Taylor? Um, I uh, so very badly want to say the joke answer of Justin Timberlake from the social network, but it, <laughs> I believe it is Orson Welles. It was Orson Welles. Oh. Follow-up question, is Paper Moon such a good title that they could just release it and not the picture? Taylor. <laughs> Taylor? No. That's no. silly. You simply have to have a movie. People don't want to go sit in the theater just to see the title. I mean, yeah. you're gonna you're gonna you save a ton on for that. You're gonna save a ton on production costs, but like your next movie is gonna flop because people are not gonna trust that you're gonna yeah. have a movie at all. You do the title card, Paper Moon, and Ta-da. then they go, "Okay, tell your friends this was the best <laughs> movie you ever saw, and that this is an original idea that we just came up with." At the end, Jim Caviezel comes on and says, "Look, a lot of <laughs> people need to see Paper Moon." <laughs> Why don't you buy tickets <laughs> for the next group who need to find out what's happening to these kids? They're being brought out on long cons by people who are probably their fathers, even though they're not fit to be. Uh, what shot took two days and 39 takes to get correct? Ryan. Ryan. That's the wonder uh, of the car ride where she's like, well, we could go get more Bibles. Yeah. We could go do that shit again. Uh, they kept getting to town. And if you, uh, it's a one shot. So if you mess it up, or if you, the timing is just off. And like, I understand. You she's can't ten. get to town. <laughs> <laughs> she's ten. She's a first-time actress. Hey, Peter, Petey, Petey, Bog, Bog, find a longer road, you dipshit. Yes. Yeah. Or you can't do the one shot with the kid. Like, you wanted that so bad so that you could say you had this long yeah. one or with just a child. Like, that's weird. That's not a good thing anyway. It doesn't sound good. Uh, according to Vivian Kubrick, what was Ryan O'Neill's reaction to hearing his precious daughter and not him had been nominated for an Oscar? Oh, boy. Taylor. Not Taylor. Is, is this the part where he, uh, he, he did some, uh, l- some light child abuse? He, 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 he dabbled. Uh, he, yes. he dabbled. He dipped his toe into the world of uh, the, one of the worst things you can do to it, to your child. Vivian Kubrick's exact wording were, 
He socked her. So he 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 punched that, his it daughter. It sounds so much. It sounds so much nicer when you say socked, doesn't it? Socked her. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was that was his his reaction. His other uh, go-to was to fuck one of her friends. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, this happened on the set of what movie of the year movie? Ryan. Ryan. Barry Lyndon. Barry Lyndon. So she went to go tell him in person, hoping that it would like not be as bad. Ryan. Which I guess was a, a, a miscalculation when you are the world's biggest piece of shit, Ryan <laughs> O'Neill. Thank you. <laughs> uh, is Ryan O'Neill a reverse method actor where he only plays pieces of shit because he is naturally <laughs> a huge piece of shit? Ryan. Taylor. Ryan. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think that just is like, okay, let's Ryan. see. I'm obviously abusive, and I have anger issues, and I'm awful. I'll just take all the parts that are like that. Barry Lyndon? I mean, is what's ironic about the fact that he socked his daughter on the set of Barry Lyndon? Also, I have some things to say about Ryan O'Neill, but I'll save that for the non-trivia segments. Segment. Yeah. It's because he doesn't he he straight up fights his kid in Barry Lyndon. Barry Lyndon and his son get yeah. into like or stepson get into an absolute scrap. Um. Are the stories around the movies of 1973 making this season kind of a drag? <laughs> Taylor. Taylor. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, having, I'm, having fun, I'm having fun with the podcast. You know what? Hard to argue. I was on the edge of my seat waiting for that answer. Um, Hard to argue with that. What, like, sure, but, like, are we surprised at all? You know? Like, no. it's the past. The past... It's just so horrifying. It's and all scary. I saw a show on HBO called The Idol, and I have to tell you, uh, the entertainment industry is very suspect and very abusive, and I understand that now from watching the HBO show The Idol because um, they only gave me five episodes and then canceled unceremoniously, not caring about my own personal health. What time... Oh, no, I already did that one. Is uh, What would happen if the real moon were paper? <laughs> Taylor. Ryan. Taylor. The tides would be fucked, my man. Don't you w think? Like, the, like, naval travel would be un untenable. Yeah, right? That's a not To me, that's a non-starter. We can't even yeah. begin to go down that road. Ryan. Uh, Ryan. Would you eat it? Hang on. Hang on. Put, put a pin in that, buddy. Sorry. Put a pin, take it back like that's the moon and put a pin in it. Um, if the moon were made of ribs, would you eat it? <laughs> Ryan. Ryan. I would. Oh, thank you for just answering the dang question. Ryan. Ryan, now we can move on. If the moon were made of ribs, would I eat it? Taylor. Taylor? Uh, No, it's simply too big. Yeah, right. I like ribs, but I don't think I'd want to eat uh, the, the entire moon made of ribs. Yeah. Can we can we tell the people it, that if aren't? If you don't eat the whole thing within like a, a full day, <laughs> then you have to pay for it. And that's going to be too expensive. Can we tell the people who are not here in the studio audience, the listeners at home, that Taylor is ringing in and then pulling out a whiteboard and like doing a bunch of math before he yeah, answers these questions? You. Well, it, yeah, he's like, Taylor's a spelling bee kid. Right. So after he gets it, he's like, has to sit, he does there in his little workshop. Uh, let's see. If the paper, if paper were made of ribs, would you eat it? Taylor. If paper were made of ribs. Taylor. I eat paper when it's paper. So, yeah, I would, <laughs> I would eat paper if it was ribs. I was just going to ask if any of you guys were one of those weird kids 
But Taylor is one of those weird adults. Just sits there housing paper. <laughs> yeah. Another paper. The More different paper colors give it different tastes. <laughs> and last question: Paper Moon or Paper Mario? Ryan. Taylor. Ryan. You know that, and uh, this sucks to announce onto a podcast because the emails that we're gonna get. But RPGs, uh, the worst form of video game. Okay. You stupid fucking. Okay. Idiot. You piece of uh, shit. Paper Mario is the single best RPG, along with Earthbound, the single two best <laughs> RPGs that have ever been created. Well, you really you gotta you gotta pull it up there, big guy. Very well done. Well, that is the end of trivia. From now on, everything you hear on this show will be of utmost importance. <laughs> <clears throat> Child actors can be rough. Their performances can be awkward, and their characters shallow. Where does Oscar winner Tatum O'Neill and her character of Abby Prey fit into this not-so-grand Hollywood tradition? And then also, I want to segue from talking about that to the sort of... the There's the dynamics of the child star and then in this particular one, the, the, the family dynamics in addition to it. So first, just focusing on her, the performance... What do you think, Taylor? I thought she was so fucking good. Like she's just well, I mean, as we mentioned, like the the quote unquote effortlessness of the performance, like it doesn't feel artificial. The way that like let's be honest, pretty much every child actor does. Like you can see like you can see them with acting. Ra- with rare exception, right? Like yes. uh, Haley Joe Osmond. I was just gonna say AI. Sense. Yeah, like yeah. I mean, there, there's like there's like a handful of child actors and a handful of movies. More often, you get like, I don't not to pick on this poor kid, but the the kid from like Phantom Menace, who's <laughs> oh, just Jake like, Lloyd, yeah. yeah, who just like has no concept of what he's even really supposed to do, you know? Yeah, it's it's it never feels like this is a like this is a character that's on the screen. It's like this is a kid who's like yes. being who's being a kid that I could pick up off the street right now. Like it's it's just like you can't Taylor. Do yeah, let's Taylor. Okay. Let's choose watch, our words better. Watch what we did did pick up a small <laughs> child. I am physically <laughs> capable. I am. I am. I have passed my physical fitness test. Um, no. But but no. yeah, I I think like generally you can tell like a kid is acting and she in this movie, it, like it it feels like this is this is a little stinker from the depression era who's <laughs> going around conning people like. Like she is play like she is Danny Ocean, like <laughs> whereas every other child actor is like Danny Ocean's shitty nephew, who's like the little brother from the Lizzie McGuire movie. Like that's hey, I'm, I'm I'm Billy Bay, <laughs> yeah, I'm Billy the Bay. But yeah, I I think she's I think she's incredible. It it is a bummer knowing the behind <laughs> the scenes of of that performance and knowing like. Oh, this was probably hell on her. This was not this was not a good situation for her to be in. But the performance, great, absolutely deserving of that Oscar. Linda Blair can fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't ever compliment one woman without insulting another yes. one. Yes. That is what we have to learn. Uh I thought a lot about Mary Badham, which is crazy that that's her name. Uh, that's crazy that that's her name because at the end of the movie, the only movie as far as I know that she starred in, Scout dresses like a piece of ham and does bad things. Oh my gosh, that's so true! Isn't that funny? Um, 
but her costume is a ham. <laughs> there's a lot of scout here. Um, yeah, it's if you just get to squint at the screen, which you don't want to because you want everything to have that deep focus. Uh, this is one of the greatest performances I've ever seen, uh, child right. or otherwise. Yeah, and um, the the naturalness that comes here, you would just think that Tatum O'Neill would go on to have one of the greatest careers of all time if she didn't have not just a psychopath dad that you know uh, probably ruined her life but also in part because she acts fucking circles around him uh yeah Addy, um is instantly a better con man than her quote-unquote father in this movie and instantly a better actor than her real life counterpart that could not have sat well with a fucking potato-headed red-faced uh, Irish dude like Ryan <laughs> O'Neill, I'm sure that got him all Irished up about that. And he's clearly he clearly can tell that he is locked in like a contest of acting with his daughter. And I think you can see that he knows he's losing in the movie, and that's causing him to even dial it up a little bit extra. I think he delivers a great performance as well, but like you said, it's yeah. against one of the greatest of all time, and I think that made it so much worse for him, that he just knew, like, it doesn't have to be a competition, but I'm making it a competition, and I'm losing. I don't think he does. I think he sticks out like a sore thumb in this movie. I think You he, think he sucks in this? Yes, I think he is. He stands out. I can out. never tell with him, because he's always supposed to be such a loser piece of shit in the <laughs> movies that he's in, and so it's like, I mean, he that care, that reads... Uh, yeah. I, but that. I also, yeah, I also think that everyone else comes uh, off like they're supposed to be from this time in the same movie, and he just can't stop being like this 1970s surface level heartthrob. Like right. I, I'd rather be Burt Reynolds, you know, and like sort oh, of. Oh, honey, <laughs> you're not Burt. Oh, <laughs> baby, no wonder you're so angry all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I di- I, I disagree though. I I think that he very effectively plays like a 1930s con man who's just kind of bumbling around and like, well, well, hello there. I've got some Bibles to sell. Yeah, it'd, it'd be great if you gave me ten dollars or whatever. Like I I yeah. feel like he's he he very effectively is oh. playing that part. It's it's just that like I in comparison to like Tatum he's not he's he's not as good because she's so much better um but yeah I, th- I think it's definitely like he's giving 110 percent because like it, it's like he's Vegeta and she's Goku and like <laughs> he, like he he he's in any other situation he'd be so good but like he like you you've got Goku that you're up against and you're just never gonna catch up yeah but anybody who wears fajitas is like a star <laughs> at, at the place so I, I think I think that works out. Uh, okay, so let's, then let's kind of, like, pivot to what we've already been talking about a little bit, which is, like, was this <laughs> was this worth it? And I feel like so often we are saying that about movies. Like, this movie is, is built with trauma and with family, like, uh, drama, <laughs> to, to make it rhyme. Trauma drama? Uh, is it – I don't know. Like, do we – are we able – does that hang over the movie – the entire time you're watching it i n- no not the entire time you're watching it when the entire time you're podcasting about it kind of yeah right um but the entire time you're watching it no because the movie does most of the time do a good job of sweeping you away but it, it is really hard to talk about it talk about the movie and not bring it up it's 
the most famous uh, d- director to child actor story in Hollywood history is probably the Charlie Chaplin and the kid story. And I don't even know if this is uh, a true story or not, but it's the one where he's the, the kid just won't cry. Uh-huh. So he, he, t- he goes to the kid and he says, uh, hey, I just gave you this puppy. And hands him a puppy and then takes the puppy away and says, I'm now going to go kill this puppy. And the kid starts bawling. And he's like, roll the cameras. <laughs> that, Ryan. that to me seems so much more quaint now compared to what I've heard about this set of Paper Moon. Where the, the day of the fucking car, like when they were shooting that one like the things that Ryan O'Neill was screaming about his own, not just a child actress, but his own daughter. Yeah. Like, I, if this cunt doesn't get it right this next time, I don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, screaming. Oof. Like, it's hard to just bring all that together in your head. Yeah, and I maybe we always say that making this podcast, like, we have fun and it makes us enjoy movies more. But I do feel like sometimes a story like this, maybe it is because of the podcast, it just feels like you just keep thinking about how you it's it feels almost wrong to like ignore all of that and just pay attention to this very charming movie that is actually about these two people who are rough around the edges finding each other and loving each other and what the people that are portraying that are not enjoying that same success i feel like it double underlines just how fake movies are right yeah it's every and moment that we're doing this podcast, I'm liking this movie less. <laughs> which, which is, I feel like, rare. Yeah, it's most of the time it makes me, I, I, I feel so so much more positive and like warm towards the movies that we discuss because I have such a, a deeper appreciation. But this is a movie, and I think this maybe goes back to the conversation we were having earlier about like Bogdanovich and like the, the, the sort of his aesthetic that he's going for is like it feels all aesthetic but then every bit that i dig deeper i'm like this is like bad underneath the surface like this is rotten in some way like this this is a toxic thing that has a candy coating that i really enjoy yeah that that's how it feels a little bit and so then i come around to the question again of like why did they make this choice like why is this just a stunt casting is it so is it so that we the viewer will be like well i know that they're actually father and daughter so now i believe the characters are because the movie we don't know that he's actually her father but we feel like knowing that that the actor and actress are related to each other that 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 maybe makes that more possible pdpd bog bog has gone out of his way to make sure that there is no question that they are that the characters are oh it's for sure his daughter it's absolutely his daughter. Says it in hundreds of interviews. But does it say, does the does the text of the film say that definitively? I <laughs> to me, and I, again, definitively no. But to me, he's such a piece of shit that the second he says, "I'm not your father," that's and then like, you see his you face. Are. Yeah, I do have to say, I guess I I feel like Ryan the the Ryan O'Neill's character is Mose is at least a good enough of a con man to pull off most lies, but when he says. I'm not your father to her. His face is just like, yeah, I am. I totally am. And I know that I am. And she never, she always knows from that point. Forward. Also the point of like his character knows that he can only go after the stupidest people possible. If he ever, yes. he, he, he makes a point of never or the challenging mo- like himself. The most desperate. Like they're, they're not, they might yeah. naturally be stupid, but they're also, he's going after people in mourning 
and like using that as the lever against them. Or late afternoon, some <laughs> at some point. <laughs> Depends yeah. on how lady sleeps in. <laughs> and uh, Addie is like his first challenge. Right. Yeah. And she sees through it right away. She's like, all right, bud, you're not my father. Okay. And you're, you're also not good at yeah. being a con man. And can I, I could really tips? take your game to the next level. I could also maybe bring an Oscar into the family. But you don't <laughs> seem to be very excited about either of those prospects. I, at I all. did look up after the movie how much $24 in the Depression was. Uh, okay. It is, it is, gang, $420. Shit. Oh! 420-69. Very nice. 69. When we come back, we are going to talk about the Pro Stars. Rushmore. Imagine if those four presidents had ever been able to come together and really all work on the same team. That would be so impressive, I imagine. Unless they had to do anything for themselves, and then they probably couldn't get much of anything done. Uh, so, but you know who could? Sports stars. Athletes. That's who. Ryan, when we were growing up in the 90s, there was a group of athletes who were more than just athletes. They were cartoons. Uh, representing the best that their sports had to offer, which we were we were blessed to have all the greatest athletes in the time that, that we were alive. Uh, never before, never after, just when we were kids. Yes. And they were called the Pro Stars. Uh, and I think they were, like, coming together to fight crime. Yeah, uh, minor crimes, major crimes, whatever crimes you had. Yeah, probably, like, there was an episode where they fought against drugs, you know. Uh, Pollution, I bet they tried to take it, if not down to zero, then a low number, at least. Drugs, the... The drugs that pollution causes, the pollution that yes. drugs cause. Yes. Uh, and on this team, there's Wayne Gretzky, consummate Sh- hockey star. He covers hockey. A personality plus. Uh, and then Bo Jackson. Yes, he covered baseball and that's football. That's two sports right there. That's, inc- that's incredibly impressive. Michael Jordan. Covered basketball and baseball. Yeah, but like covered basketball and then was like, I also played baseball. Yeah. And then who was the last one? Joe Montana? Just the three. We're oh, just do- those three. We're only doing three. Wow, okay. Well, uh, then our mountain will only have three. So we are going to pick the best sports stars and kind of like the most famous sports stars of 73, right? I don't. I think it'd be weird to suggest a non-famous athlete for the 1973 yeah. pro stars. Yeah, right. So let's, let's keep them famous, shall we? Uh, 73 sports were I were like still like a, like a portion of the 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 pop culture landscape, not like most of the pop culture landscape, and so, so these celebs might not be as big. If you watch uh, sports on like YouTube from 1973, uh, you'll see some of the worst like uh, Chirons. Yes. Uh, on the on the blurriest of TV cameras. Half the athletes are late for the game because they were at their day job. <laughs> They're like coming and taking off their tie. Hang on, here I come. The day Sorry. job was uh, cigarette testing. <laughs> <laughs> right. You just cannot get a good cigarette testing job anymore. Taylor, you are our guest, and as such, I would like you to recommend the first person to put on our Pro Stars Mountain. All right, so uh, listen, I'm going at this from the concept that it is it is 1973, and we are putting people on this this show based on the fact that it is 1973. So... In 1973, okay. I simply cannot believe that it would not be O.J. Simpson. 
okay, right? A little bit of a sticky wicket here. It's, uh, it's listen, we've talked about it. Like, sometimes it was the past, and, and that yeah. kind of is a bummer around it. But if I'm putting my 1973 goggles on. Yes. Yeah, OJ Simpson, right? T- t- you don't an, know it's not about an innocent s- man who never did anything wrong. Well, in '73, he was right. Taylor, you don't know a ton about sports, so you're just taking a stab in the dark here. Ayo. Oh, uh, uh, pretty yeah. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Um, but I've got was, my gloves on. Uh, this was second phase OJ, so that he's in the pros now. Uh, he's already completely um, knifed his way through the 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 college game, and now he's cutting it up in the pros. Uh, also, I feel like uh, OJ's so so triggering for white people. Not that he shouldn't be. He's, pr- he's probably guilty, everybody, right? Pro- probably guilty. But it just it works up white people in kind of a delightful way. I'm starting to pick up on that. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, like, get people going. Because if you just drop that bomb, drop that grenade in a group of boomers and just let them go, you, yes. get, to, you get to tell people or you get to see what kind of people people are. So, but I am gonna put him on the maybe pile. Oh shit! That I seems, thought that seems fair. I thought he was gonna run for fighting crime all day. So we will see. I mean, he can get in the headspace, right? He wrote that book where he imagined if he had done it, if I did it, right? Yeah. So he could he's get in the g- headspace of the bag. For sure. Yeah. Are we? I thought that we were at this point, considering that maybe he did not do it, and well, it was a cover up for his son. Oh, really? That's that's Have very, we not jumped on this bandwagon? That's yet? very evolved. I have to no. say in the t- <laughs> in the time in the time that w- when the trial was actually going on, I was definitely one of these people who was like this guy's so clearly guilty. Um, but since then, like just seeing the way cops and district attorneys are like uh, you just got to be like, well, yeah. Could be um and plus it gets people upset. I feel like it gets the right kind of person upset and so he's like, "Ooh, I don't know." I watched an episode of Roseanne the other night that um, came out right when OJ was acquitted. And it, at the poker table was two straight white males, two black dudes, and two gay dudes. And they were all arguing about who had a rougher time. Uh, just classic TV. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, like what? The, whatever minority group they were a part of. They right. Thought that, and Dan, oh, okay. Dan Connor, played by John Goodman, made the case that straight white males had it the roughest. Dude, uh, honestly, I, I think you got to consider it, right? Right, man? So it's so tough. Um, okay, very good. So we'll put, put OJ right over here on the maybe pile. Ryan, who do you think should go on the Pro Stars Mountain? Uh, Greg, w- this is a superhero team, essentially, yes. right? Yes. And uh, as a villain, I think that we could just talk about this piece of shit with no superpowers, almost no athletic abilities, named Bobby fucking rigs okay almost nobody has been more hateable than this fucking tennis playing dirtbag <laughs> who said i could be anybody including billy jean king who stepped up and i think as a woman kicked his ass up and down the court billy jean king is a pro star oh, okay so yeah not not bobby riggs bobby but, riggs but can go fucking eat shit billy jean king. i you know what i'm gonna put billy jean king straight on the mountain. I like that. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. Ryan. Yeah. Uh, he talked such a big game. He was. I, I've never understood if he was. Was he kind of doing like the Andy Kaufman intergender was wrestling Was it Andy Kaufman thing? or was it Fox News troll? Like, was he just trying to get. Because she whipped his ass. And since then, everyone's like, well, you know, he was he, he was an older guy. <laughs> well, but he's the one who set the whole <laughs> thing in motion. 
Like, why, why would she do that to such a nice yeah. gentleman? Oh, man. You know what I've always hated? The last shot of the match, after she beats him, he jumps over the net. Like, oh, look, I can just spring over the net. Dude, <laughs> just, man, give her one second. Just give her one moment. Do you know what I would have done? Faked a heart attack. <laughs> get that carted <laughs> off yeah, the court. Yeah, dude, I get a little sympathy. That sweet, sweet sympathy. See, uh... Middle-aged white men had not developed that trick just yet. Uh-huh. Of like he he should have yeah. been like I'm the victim. <laughs> no, oh god. Uh, but she's going right on the mountain. Very good. Even though uh, Ryan uh, tennis, I think is kind of a racket. <laughs> ah. Thank you, Taylor, for appreciating comedy. And in fact, Taylor, it is your turn. There's two spots left on the pro stars. Okay, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot for a for a right on the mountain one with this one, and I'm gonna go like maybe one of one of the best players of basketball of all time, Wilt Chamberlain. Wilt Chamberlain, 1973. Huh? Where's Wilt at? 73. Wilt Chamberlain, though. Is he old? He's pretty old in '73. I I feel like he's st- he's listen. He's still he's still making the All Star game in '73, which is what I checked. Okay, he's still an all-star. Also, he has some off-the-court stats that are pretty impressive. Are you talking about puss? (laughs) I was alluding to his gentlemanly endeavors. Certainly, I was. I... Something about this is not reading 73 to me, so I'm just going to put Wilt off to the side here. 73 basketball. Okay, great. I am looking it up, and that is the last year that he played professional basketball. Yeah. So. This is like his – Listen, I, just, I, I, I picked names that I recognized. No, I and admit that. Man, Will Chamberlain, great player. Great player. You, you, you picked a good one. It just might be a little bit like, – might be a little bit past his prime. Okay, Ryan, it's back to you. Might be an opening here, brother. No, this is it. Um, I don't know if we've ever – in all of our years of doing Pro Stars, I don't know if we've ever had somebody of this person's ilk um and you guys might say nay but no one ah. is saying nay louder than him it's secretariat yeah man and this is a cartoon greg My so i fuck. say fully talking horse okay talking horse is he bojack style bipedal or is he horse style quadruped well i think based on the original being having bojack son uh-huh. we should have bojack here <laughs> so bipedal but okay. when it's time to like when it's battle time, he gets on all fours. Okay, okay, yeah. Because this is interesting. Because I was wondering if it's like a Shadow Facts thing, right? Shadow Facts, famously from Lord of the Rings, the Lord of all horses, and Shadow Facts was not gonna let just anybody hop on up there, right? Gandalf is so well thought of that Gandalf's like, okay, and even that, I think, it had to be a strained relationship at times because it is essentially. To like a guy who thinks of himself as the king, and you're riding around on his back, and you're like, Shadowfax, go this way now, and you're like, damn, I'm the lord <laughs> you know, of horses. I, I'm the king, you know that, right? Yeah, I'm the, the lord of all the horses. Uh, for listeners who are too young, Shadowfax is also how we would prank people in the '90s by sending them oh, little man, faxes, a, a blank fax, yeah, or just, or just like a full page of of of, of ink. <laughs> oh man, and it would make that screeching sound the whole time it prints. That would have wasted uh, so much ink of that. That's a lot of. We toner. should have done that. That's a lot. Yeah, of let's toner. go back. You're in time. paying for that. You're paying for that through the nose, my friend. <laughs> All right, Taylor, you have one shot to redeem yourself. Do not miss your chance. Fuck. Do not miss this I'm, one shot. I'm doing I'll I'll be honest, I'm doing so poorly at this. Uh yeah. so surprising I'm, everyone. Uh, so I'm gonna go I'm gonna go for uh we'll do listen. We'll do baseball with this one. 
I've, str- okay. I've struck out. I've sh- I've struck out so far. Let's see if the third pitch is a home run. <laughs> All right. Now, I know for a fact that it is close to the end of this person's career as well, but I think he's still got some juice in him. Okay. Hank Aaron is still playing baseball at this point. All right. Fellas, Hank he's, he's, he's still got, like, I think another, like, four or five years in the league at this point. Don't think that's true. But he does set the home run record in this year. He does in 73? In 73. Well, you know what? That's good enough for me. Plus, I don't want to put OJ on the team. We're going to yeah. go he's got, with he's got, Hank. he's got three more years in the league. I apologize. I have to say, one thing I really like about um, Hank Aaron is uh, – he just consistently hit like thirty yeah. home runs for, for forty five years. For forty five yeah. years, just <laughs> like he's, he's just like consistency all the way through. And also, this record feels really good. A lot of baseball records feel skeevy at this point. This one still feels good and real and genuine. Can I um, start the premise of the show? Sure, I love it. Hank Aaron breaks the home run record. Oh. And because it's 1973, oh. this guy gets on the field and rounds the bases with him in a very famous clip. And while Hank Aaron is rounding second, this fucking guy whispers into into his ear and says, here's my master plan. And Hank thinks, man, I'm trying to worry about the home run record, but <laughs> I got to get the pro stars together because this is the villain. This is where it all starts. He's on the guy that's on the field. Yeah. I've always felt like I think there's two guys that run along with him. Man, I hate those guys. What are you doing? Yeah. Like this is main his... character energy. Yes. Assholes. This is his moment, and now I always got to look at you. They should digitally remove those guys. <laughs> they should remove those... all of their fingers. <laughs> those guys, you know, at every single family gathering, tell that story. Oh and god. Like, oh, oh it, that was you. You fucking suck, my man. And he's like, <laughs> Ah, I think he was pretty cool. I, I'm part <laughs> history, and you're not. So. If those are my uncles at every family gathering, I would freak out every time they told the story as if it were the first time. I would get on the table. I would scream. Now, here's what I propose. I think in a dramatic moment, one of our heroes should not fall. That's too much. But, you know, like uh, get injured. And then it's like, oh, man, uh, we had uh, we had Billie Jean King. Uh, but she hurt her arm with that last hit. Who's going to hit now? And they're like, okay, here comes Orlando Cepeda, the first ever person hired just to be a designated hitter, right? And he comes in and he's like, hitting is all I do, right? And we get to really cash in on the fact that 73 is when the American League introduced the designated hitter, ruining baseball until the National League also said, okay, we'll oh do the same God. thing. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, the old man Heinlein came tonight. <laughs> I, man, I we I peek behind the curtain. Uh, I did used to be one of those people that was like, designator hitter has ruined baseball. Two games into this season, it was like, man, it's so fun not having yeah. one of the nine guys go up there who's like holding the bat the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, it fucking guys, sucks. Can I can I very quickly? Uh, I, I, we're done with making picks, right? We yeah. are. I can't spoil anything. No, I I just want to say that I did. For, as research for this, go and look up 1973 All-Star Games. Can I read just some of the some of the baseball names that we've got? Dude, we've lay them really on lost, us. We've really lost the, the art of the baseball name. Did Mike like, Truck play? Uh, almost. We've got we've got Rolly Fingers. Yeah, Rolly Fingers. We've got we've got Sparky Lyle. 
we've we've got old Catfish Hunter. Yeah. <laughs> we've got we got Thurman Munson. We got <laughs> Cookie Rojas in here. Are you kidding me? These oh, are Oh, Buddy Bell. We, oh, we got Bert Blylevin. <laughs> it's so funny cuz these are all just names that ba- that fans of baseball just know. One of these dudes is yeah. one of these dudes they're is, not weird is to just us. named one of these dudes is just named Johnny Bench. Like <laughs> he's just old Johnny Bench. Like we don't we don't name people like this anymore. <laughs> uh, this is uh, Albert Pujols theory. Yeah. In that like it's just normal to you, but then you tell it to somebody who's never watched baseball and they're like, That's the funniest name I've ever heard. You're saying that that guy at bat, his name is Pujols. His so name that is Pujols. Is, his also, name is Pujols. I think part of the seventies was that um Everyone gets a nickname. Yeah. And then also, uh, it, the nickname sticks so hard, we're going to drop the quotations yes. around the nickname. And yeah. So I, it just becomes their name. We have really moved away from yeah. that, where your nickname completely replaces your name. So Stinkfinger Johnson is just not a thing anymore. And that was a real big thing in baseball for, like, going back to the origin yeah. of baseball. <laughs> um, ultimately, though, follow Saigon. Are these three responsible? <laughs> Did these three yes. end, the, yes, end the Vietnam absolutely. War? <laughs> One million percent. We all know that Walter Cronkite ended the Vietnam War by being like sad about it on TV, and then Amer- America decided they didn't have the backbone to fight anymore, Ryan. I just want an eight-episode animated series about BGK, uh, Secretariat, and Hank Aaron uh, pulling all the strings behind the Vietnam War. And it was them the entire time. Oh, I don't know. We could try a troop surge. Oh, man, they're moving through Cambodia. I think we got to start bombing Cambodia. Oh, God, we're getting into a total quagmire here, man. We have a plan, right, guys? We have a plan to get out of this, right? No cartoon will ever use the word quagmire more than this one we're about to produce. Oh, except for Family Guy. Family Guy uses it a lot. That guy guy is named Quagmire, yeah. But no show will ever use Stewie as much as ours does. (laughs) Crap, same show and everything. Next segment. Religion, what with the Bible salesman angle and the opening on a, a funeral, and the radio, a device constantly gone back to, especially by Addie, these are like two forces that exist in the movie. Is there a connection being made here? What role do either of these things play in the universe of the movie? I think that, like, arguably, those are in, like, the 30s. Like, the two main ways that, like, people are, like, joined together as, like, a unit. Because it's one with religion, like, especially, like, especially in the 30s and even up until, like, I'd say, like, 2005. uh, I think, like, that was, like, the main, uh, one of the main ways that people would, like, get together. And it's just expected, like, oh, Sunday, time time for us to get on up to church and, like, see everyone in the town. Uh, like see every person you've ever known in your entire life uh, every week. Uh, and then the way to expand beyond that is like the radio, like, uh, Oh, Jack Benny's on. Uh, and, and this is how I get like my entertainment because like, what the fuck else am I going to do? Like, look at, look at, Hey, like <laughs> there's, there's, am I going to push hoop with stick? No, we didn't invent that till 1945 or whatever. Uh, which by the way, I met, this is a quick sidebar. I met a woman the other day who was like, I remember when they invented hula hoops. And I was like, that can't fucking possibly be true. <laughs> and, but she, but she said it so confidently that I was like, ah, 
Maybe Which, hula hoops were invented in 1950. I don't know. They were though, right? Isn't that what hula hoops are from? Yeah, she that probably can't like, be, they're they're just a ring. They're just you, a ring. I I invented that like 3,000 years ago. Like, what are you talking about? Anyway, have have you ever seen say, the Hudsucker Proxy? No, you should I, check what, that is out. That something it's all, you just made that up? It's all about hooping. I have multiple times told Greg that there is one Coen Brothers movie that I have not seen and it makes me upset and he brings it up every episode of this show. It's a good movie and you should both check it out. There's a funny moment of crossover between religion and radio and it kind of connects to what you said, Taylor. Uh, They're in one town. I think they're like in somewhere in Minnesota and he's like, "Uh, so yeah, that was the latest song. The radio DJ like that. So that was the latest song. Hey, it's 1030 on Sunday, everybody. Go get to church now. Like everybody, that's all get right. out you, there. If, if you're hearing this, you're sinning. The devil is coming for you. <laughs> Who in this movie likes like religion? Like what 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 angles on religion do we get? I the connection between radio and religion is not something that I thought about until Greg you asked that question. So uh-huh, I can see on your face. <laughs> really good job hosting, <laughs> I would say. Um, but religion to me is always a weird one because I never trust that me thinking about that as a theme because of uh-huh. my crazy bias towards it. I think it's for rubes every like in real life and in the movie. They're definitely like, in the movie, right? Like let's in the prey m- on them. Like we think that like if it was like, Oh, your, your, your dead husband, your deceased husband bought you this giant box of candy. They'd be like, I don't fucking care. Yes. Like, yeah. I'm in mourning. Get the hell out of right. here. But no, we, the, he bought you this like uh personalized, you know, embossed, Bible, well, like, I need to have that, right? And I'll spend $420,023 on this fucking Bible. That's crazy. Uh, they probably already have, what, but, two, three Bibles in there? Oh, yeah. But also, like, in that time, Bibles were, like, super important. Like, I think it's important that he assumes it's a foregone conclusion that if someone has died, their their widow is going to be religious. But also, like... Bibles were like a like an an heirloom, and at that time there was like there's like a whole weird thing with like Protestants taking like a lot of pride in the fact that they read the Bible because there's like a whole there's like a whole thing with like oh, Catholics don't actually read the Bible; it's the cl- the clergy controls it all or whatever. Like the, that like weird like Protestant uh, like like anti-Catholic stance. So I think there's like part of that which is like. A Bible is the a Bible is the perfect thing to like make someone forced to buy because it's like, fuck you, think I'm not gonna buy a Bible? I'm absolutely gonna buy a Bible. So I we had we have film bros now. There was Bible bros then. There was like uh, Bible boxed. There was a website where you could log how many different Bibles you've read or how many verses you've yeah. read back then. Just like how good you are at reading the Bible, and that's one of the ways that Abby is so good at. Just better as a con man and a person than um, her dad because she's like, um, this person's rich. I notice all of her things, her piano, her necklace, her chandelier. So let's charge $24. And then this woman has eight kids. She's holding yeah, eight dude. kids right now. They just keep like falling in the background. <laughs> like you're just like, oh, there's another one back there. One comes out of her body. She births a child <laughs> mid scene without even acknowledging it. And Addie says, well, actually this Bible's free. And so like now she's not just, she's like a better person morally than Moses as well. 
um, and this person right. just needs the Bible because this is one person it, that they've talked to who actually doesn't own a Bible, you know? Because I and because I noticed the people that they rip off, they use religion as the way to rip them off. But then the other characters have some religion analog. And for for Addie, I really feel like it's the radio. She's like addicted to the radio. She wants to listen to it constantly. It's appointment viewing. She has to show up before bed to listen to it. Like she needs to find a place in every oh, town. And where by the way, she is it. the worst kind of person to watch a movie with because. She, they were listening to, like, Fibber McGee. Yes. And she was like, oh, watch, he's going to say this. Don't, that's the worst person to watch a movie with. Uh, that She is a 10-year-old, and a 10-year-old <laughs> is the worst person to watch a movie with because if they have seen it before or they think they can figure out what's going to happen, like, you can say, oh, please don't tell me, and then you watch them battle with yeah. not telling they you. All not. they want to do is, like, I'm just going to tell you everything that happened. Because they become co-screenwriter. Like, they get half credit yeah. for, like, coming up with that joke. I knew it before you did. Uh, and then for uh, for the dad, for Moe's, his seems to be sex, uh-huh. right? And so all these are kind oh, yeah. of – all these are shown to be different forms of opiates for the – Vice and, like, yeah, the drug. What yeah. is their drug of choice? What is their takeaway? Um, all right. Well, that, that was the religion and radio question. Thank you very much, everybody. Oh, is big, huh? <laughs> That's another one of my special speed round remixes. <laughs> Where we also get Zoidberg. Miss Trixie Delight keeps saying she has to winky tinky, but did anyone else get the sense that she just shits more than Mike? <laughs> yes. Oh I cannot I'm believe fat, that we have. So I burp and fart. I cannot believe that we haven't talked about Madeline Kahn until right now. We didn't talk about Madeline Kahn. One question I meant to ask you about Madeline Kahn, I'll ask you now. It's a speed rail question. Uh, what line was she too embarrassed to say, and Bogdanovich could only get her to say it one time? I don't know. Uh, at the end of the speech, I, I, I know. Go. It's absolutely it's absolutely when she's like litmus Trixie sit up front with her big tits or whatever. Like <laughs> the funniest line of the whole fucking movie. She was like, "This is obscene. I don't want to say it. Please don't make me say it." And what's more, I'm too embarrassed to say it. And he was like, "You have to just do it for me one time." And it does not settle into that speech, and you can just see on her face she's mortified to have said it. Her speech on the mount, where she's talking to Addie and like, yes, goes, that's where this is from. Yeah, goes in trying to be like, hey, I'm gonna be like the cool girlfriend, and then in the midst of the speech, has already thought of all of Addie's comebacks and is answering them in real time and getting angrier. This is like that is a. Uh, incredible monologue and then finally that's, she's like that's me in therapy <laughs> <laughs> and then finally she's just like i'm gonna be gone like he's going to leave me can you just let that happen and the answer is no <laughs> she has to drive her out I, just, I think she is like again this is the 70s she is constitutionally unable to not be the vehicle for that woman's destruction it's because when it comes to Trixie, uh, Abby has flames, flames every time she thinks of her. Yes. Yeah. And I, I think that's because she's like, you you think you can come here and replace my mom. And what's more, you think you can come here and replace me. Right. And we see a lot of that, like, I should have this role. And she literally, what she's saying to her with that big tits line is, let me sit in the front of the car. Let me sit in your place. I actually want to be where you are sitting. Miss Trixie Delight. Could I fix her? Could Greg? Could Greg fix her? 
Uh, yeah, I think so. I always like to give you the positive thinking about this. Taylor, what do you think? Yeah, I think so. I yeah. I, 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 believe, I believe that you could. I really feel like I could. I, I think what she needs yeah. is a lot of unconditional love and support. She's a beautiful woman. She's got uh, a lot of talents. I think she's a little cruel to people, but I think my love would help her see her way past that, you Did know? It, like, uh, have her stop, like, doing indentured slavery, the number one? Yeah. Uh, and that's my next item I want to talk about in the speed round. Are we a little uncomfortable with her relationship with her, like, employee who she doesn't pay, who happens to be black, who seems to, like, sort of fulfill that clever servant role? Like, what's this movie doing with that? Not enough. (laughs) But I do, I will say that if this movie was from the time it took place in, then she would be a much different character. And it would be like, no, I I love my mammy. And like, I think that she's great. And in this movie, that character is like, fuck this bitch, dude. (laughs) She's a whore. And she'll go down on you for any amount of money. (laughs) And I mean, her, her character and her performance did almost seem like it was at at least at the very beginning of that first scene where she's talking with uh, Addie. It it almost seemed like she was like a character from like the early nineties. She was just like, (laughs) man, I I fucking hate this bitch. What are we (laughs) like? Let's get out of here. What's her name? She seemed like she was hanging out at a skate. Yeah. Imogene. Yeah. So Imogene with her Doc Martens and her choker. And she's like, (laughs) man, Madeline Kahn sucks. I do have to say, her performance is the difference between getting it and almost getting it. I feel like she is right on the doorstep of a brilliant performance. And unfortunately what happens when you get so close, but don't quite get all the way there is it almost underscores even more that you're not quite getting it. And especially when you are playing against Tatum O'Neill. Oh, I totally disagree. I think that she, this was another person running circles around Ryan (laughs) O'Neill. This was like, I could not believe how great she was. Ryan. Do you think anyone ever watched Paper Moon on pay-per-view? Yes. Taylor, what's your answer? I I think no. Well, it depends on if you count streaming subscriptions as pay-per-view because I think this I think this bad boy is on I think this bad boy is on Freevee or whatever now. So, uh, you don't have to pay for it. Wait, was pay-per-view like you would pay that $4 and then you would have two hours? Pay-per-view, uh, my here, here's my recollection of it. Uh, you would, like, say you wanted to view it. You would pay yeah. for time of viewing it. So if you're on a streaming service, that to me is not pay-per-view. Because you'd have to, like, okay. it would cost, like, two ninety nine, and they'd send it right to your house. And then when you were done watching it, you were done. Well, now, like, if you rent a movie now, you have, you rent it for 24 hours. Yeah. But back in the day when we was kids, would pay-per-view be, like, literally, it's just going to play. You can't pause or anything. Yeah, I think it just starts, and it's just going. Yeah. It's so... And it's like, you got to be ready. That's so much pressure. Yeah, it's too much pressure. Honestly, even renting a movie from, like, Apple TV or whatever... And then getting that ty- that countdown, like, all right, you got 30 days to start it. And then you start it, and it's like, all right, you got 48 hours to finish it. I'm just like, shit, I hope no, nothing. No, what, what we do to add, like, excitement to my marriage is, like, we will wait until there's two hours left in the rental. Oh, and then we'll start dang. it. Yeah, that's what we'll do. We'll do that. Take a walk on the wild side. Based on what we've heard, who is a better father of daughters, Ryan O'Neill or Ryan from Movie of the Year? Ryan O'Neill. <laughs> no. Uh, no, I think Ryan from Movie of the Year. 
I this is one of those times. Greg, did you ask this question just to get me compliments? This is just one of those times we have to say Ryan is a good dad, and not just because when you do things like research for movie of the year, you get to fall down the well of how bad people can be at being parents. But Ryan's actually a very good dad. And uh, this is one of those things, like you know where. They say if Trump had done nothing with his money, his dad's money, he would yeah. have more than he has now. If I more. had done nothing as a father, I would be better than Ryan <laughs> O'Neill. If he had just literally never talked to his daughter, he would be better. <laughs> there was Ryan sent us a video of like them as a uh, Tatum O'Neill as an adult talking to her elderly father. Basically, their relationship still completely fraught. And she's like, I feel like I don't know you. And he's like, Yeah, it's because I was never around. <laughs> what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> Are you arguing against her? What is this? She's like, I think you have anger issues. He's like, you're always saying I have anger issues. <laughs> he he is, and like, he's not a victim. I'm not making excuses. He is broken. He His yeah. head is cracked open. Yeah. Did, his career didn't really, like, persist past the 70s much, did it? No, absolutely not. And I think that, like, a lot of it was that thing that we talked about with, remember when we talked about Eyes Wide Shut? And Tom Cruise being almost stunt casting. Yes, yeah. And how Barry Lyndon, Kubrick did the same thing. That was sort of it. Yeah, like, well, there, there's not that many movies about unlikable douchebags. Right. So you're going to run out of parts to play. If the moon were made of ribs, would you eat it? <laughs> uh, No, it's too much. Do I have to eat the whole thing? Uh, no, it just says, okay. would you eat it? So we can parse uh, yeah. that. I I, t- I take a little. I take. I take some nibbles. Do you know what? If I buy one moon for one person, but I let the three of us eat it, do we get shit from the servers? I think honestly, the servers don't care. They don't. Care. But if they're a manager sees, right? they're coming over, or if the owner of the place sees, they're gonna absolutely. Then yeah, we're gonna out. do it. The three of us are gonna house that. When we come back, it's time for awards and recommendations. Awards. This movie got one Academy Award. It was for Tatum O'Neill. That was not super popular with everybody. (laughs) Some people were upset about that for different reasons. But now it's going to win a whole bunch of awards. And we're going to start with pound-for-pound performance. Is there any reason reason at all to even do this? I'm not sure. Taylor, who do you think gave the best pound-for-pound performance? I listen. I think if we're talking um, like size, it's obviously yeah, Tatum O'Neill. But if, if literal if we're pounds, talking sc- literal pounds. If we're talking screen time, I do think that there's an argument for Imogen here because Ooh. she really, I I really enjoyed every moment that she was on screen. She gave Addie someone to bounce off of and like be a a little mischievous stinker like on the side, but like. I like. I think I every every line that she delivered, I was like, great, e- excited to have you here. Did not overstay her welcome. I was like, this is this is this is a great this is a great performance. All right, Ryan, Greg, put my wiener in pajamas because I have PJ Johnson as Imogene. Really, you guys both win with Imogene. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, you know my rule, but uh, Tatum is obviously the the star killer here. Uh, we talked about her. We spent 90 minutes talking about her. I think that uh, P.J. Johnson uh, steals every scene she's in. Well, I'm going to have to give that one to myself because uh, that is ridiculous. All right. Uh, coming up next is director's signature. Ryan, 
What is the director's signature? This is also something that we talked about all night, but uh, the Warner, this guy wanting so badly yeah. to do this one car ride where they have these lines, and he's like, but it has to be. It has to be in this one shot, and we're going to reset the relationship, and we're going to end the first episode. <laughs> maybe the second episode of the movie, and we're going to reset it. And, like, we had, what, three days? Three days of shooting to, like, rethink how we're doing this. We could have done something else, right? Like, it's not working. But he was just like, no. Like, all of this stuff, from where the camera was, the deep focus, to also ego, this is all Peter Bogdanovich to me. All right. Taylor, what do you think? Director's signature yeah, I, moment. Well, I, I don't want to keep doing this, so I think we should break this pattern of But, like, the, the one is, like, the obvious answer. If, if it's not the one I think just the decision to shoot it in black and white, like, full, at least 20 years after we sort of stopped doing that. <laughs> uh, I, I think, but, but yeah, specifically, like, the, the concept of I've got a very specific aesthetic vision that is mostly used in older movies and specifically older movies that I have an attachment to that I am going to be absolutely committed to and will not budge on one bit. Well, I'll give it to Ryan. both of you. Oh. Although you kind of tried to hedge your bets there, Taylor, and I was almost like, hmm. Like, well, if it weren't the one shot, it would be this. And if it weren't this, it might be this. Do we think the constant conversation about one is like the podcasting that we like all the hard work that us podcasters have done has sort of like deflated wonders a little bit where now like you do have to have a lot of reason to go out there and do it well like once you get like a movie like 1917 which is simulating a lengthy wonder then i feel like okay now we've done an entire movie as one shot and also we simulated it and so then it's just like what is the artistic merit is it just supposed to be a marathon is it just supposed to be a technical achievement i think maybe we have reached kind of the end i like the idea of one shot like when you can capture two characters chemistry over a long period of time it feels very natural but when you have to like tease that out of two days of people screaming at each other then it feels like it's just it's a trick it's just a an illusion at that point right so like um children of men are still my favorite but like also if it's in a link later movie then i'm down yeah but other than that let's stop for let's take like a 10-year hiatus yeah the problem is as viewers now we noticed them, I think, in a way that we didn't used to. I think we used to feel them, and so they had an energy that we were in tune with. Now we recognize when they're happening, and it's like, no, wait, it, that wasn't a cut there. It just the camera panned over a little bit, and then she went into the bathroom. Four morons and in your theater to, standing up and being like, "Oh, yeah. water!" Yeah, and so it's like it then it hasn't. It's no longer the like subtextual language. It's the super textual language because you're not even paying attention to the movie now. You're paying attention to just this shot. And like, oh, man, yeah, now she's got to cry in the middle of this scene. And she just seemed happy a second ago. Um, I, I keep going back to the marriage story, one Uh But, like, yeah, it just it, it feels like maybe some of the magic has been pulled out of them. All righty, it's an old movie. It's probably full of cringe. Taylor, what was your cringiest moment? Cringiest moment was... Uh, and what I have for this is, like, it's it's such a weird minor thing, but like just the fr- like when he's like, yeah, I'll take the small child, uh, and and we'll just wander off. Like it just like it made me, cr- like I obviously I know it was the '30s and they were like, yeah, kids kids can just kind of wander away. But but like all of these people he's a friend like, of the family. 
He's he's a friend of the family. He's going that way. Why don't you just take a little? Why don't you just take a little car journey and and take this young girl here uh, under under your advisement? We've we've known you for all of forty five seconds. We exchanged seven words, and we think we should entrust the care of this nine year old girl to you. Like it, it, it just like it, it. The movie itself is not doing a bad thing. Like it's not poorly executing. But I was like, they shouldn't do that. Don't, yeah. Hmm. I don't, I this, don't is like more, this. this is more about what I love about the religion of the movie where they're like, we get to a very religious funeral. That's where the movie starts. And it's like, oh, this uh, Christ loving woman. I'm a priest. We love Christ. Everybody here loves Christ. This is a Christ loving town. Uh, hey, stranger, uh, take this 10 year old girl and get the fuck away from here as fast as possible. Thank you. Bye. Yeah, Bye. <laughs> we got nothing for this little girl. So this guy that rolled up at the very end of the funeral, we'll just send her off with him. Pretty good. Is that your same one, Ryan? No, it's not, Greg. But I've got a weird one, so you could probably just give Taylor the point. It's the wonder. Taylor. Huh? That, oh, made you cringe? Yeah, I mean, see our our previous conversation, it right? It sucks to watch. And, like, it's not – it is meta or outer or intra or some other kind of textual that, like, maybe I don't have the words for. But, like – and I didn't watch this with uh, – cleanest of eyes like i was not swept away during it because it was so hard because of everything i've heard about this scene but like this was so cringy just knowing that they had the same last name like it was really really cringy yeah i re- i feel like the whole idea of, of casting his daughter is just a terrible terrible idea and i i don't think just because it ruined her life although that's a perfectly good reason i think it, it the way reality intrudes in on this movie it's it's making the experience unclean. Like there's the division between reality and the the film. Blurring that line doesn't help me. I don't like that as a viewer. I want the film to be a complete fabrication. I don't with the when you plug any reality to it by actually live firing at your actors, by having something scare them that they don't expect, by surprising them in a way that they don't anticipate, and then you see real human fate like re- expressions based on those things. It always just takes me out of the movie. There's this thing about. Um the only true movie star, the only true movie that's left because of CGI is Tom Cruise because he fully consents to almost die. <laughs> what Greg is, what Greg just described is lack of consent yeah. in order to get those reactions instead of full consent of flying on the outside of a plane or whatever. Yeah, I feel like, especially in this, uh, right around this period, the late 60s, um, and maybe I'm, I'm, it's probably just that I'm aware of it more, but we started entering into, when we started getting these auteurs, it was like, Whatever they have to do to bring you something that's a movie that is cool? permissible. Yeah, it's permissible to do whatever you want as long as what comes out the other end is art. And it's just like, no, motherfucker, that is not true. And I you think can't do whatever you want just because you're putting it on celluloid. I think that's awesome when we're talking about like Dog Day and some of those protesters are real people. And so Sydney LeMay just like made a big deal. So yeah, like, I think that's rad. Not ten year olds. Yeah. There's a difference there. Uh, how about Ryan? The moment where Ryan is being Ryan. And explain to our listeners what this means. Uh, so at what point is, um, it's really Moses, right? Like, what point is Ryan acting like Ryan? Um, and I'm going to go from recent history. I don't need to go into details. But uh, there's a point where um, Ryan uh, comes out of Trixie's tent. And he's like, I'm going to get right back in line for that tent. <laughs> and that's, I think that's very Ryan. She's like, you, you've been in and out of that tent eight times. And he's like, yeah, I think I'm going to go yeah. eight more. <laughs> and you know what? I get to, goddammit. That's my right. <laughs> and based on recent history, uh, that's the Ryan is Ryan part of the movie. 
I love that old timey carnivals used to also just have like strippers. They're like, just okay, and then we're all gonna have this one tent over here where there are naked ladies dancing. And you know Moses and everybody else who comes out of that tent is like faking performatively, like, God damn it, what should I do next with my tickets? Hmm, hmm. Oh, Trixie again, here we go. I guess I'm holding them and it's right here. Yeah, there's quite a line. Uh Taylor, what do you think is Ryan being Ryan? Uh that that was definitely up there. I but I do <laughs> think that the I do think that the uh the moment where they're they're in the room and Addie is listening to the radio and he's like do you want hey do you do you want do you want to go to bed or listen to anything else? <laughs> felt it felt it felt very Ryan to me of like is is this is this what we're doing? It's it's bedtime now. It's bedtime now. I'm going to give that one Ryan. to Ryan. Uh, Taylor, this next one is called Tate, Tate, Tay, Tay. Do you know what that means? I do know what that means. I'm assuming that that is uh, the moment where young Tatum O'Neill was the most like myself in yes. the film. Yes. Uh, and I do have an, an, an exact moment. And I... And I, I'm, I'm upset to say that I knew it as soon as it happened. It's when she grabs all the stuff and goes and just does like a little pose in front of the. the oh mirror. yeah! It's <laughs> like stringing the pearls around and is like, "What? What? What should my voguing pose be?" And yeah. I, was like, I I do that every fucking day, man. <laughs> it's every fucking morning I wake up and I do exactly that. Put on half a bottle of toilet water. I just little, absolutely oh, douse toilet? myself. Ryan, what do you think? Uh, Greg, you already said it, but uh, it's, uh, and again, from recent history, but it is Taylor looking right at me and saying, do you need to get back in line for Trixie again? (laughs) 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 Gotta go with Ryan there. All right. This next part is so important that I would never forget it. Craig, don't you ever forget. This is the 9-11 of our show. And I will not. Ryan, do you have any recommendations for people who loved or hated Paper Moon? Uh, I do. Uh, If you loved or hated Paper Moon, boy, do I have a movie for you that I think that is so um, known as being unheralded that it's probably (laughs) overheralded at this point. Starting to get a little heralded. (laughs) Starting to get a little heralded. But I'm going to recommend it anyway. Um, cause this whole movie to me is the father daughter relationship. Uh, this movie that I'm about to bring up, a lot of people will talk about the chemistry between the two male stars, but to me, this is a father daughter movie. Uh, and the relationship is between, I'm going to say this for the first time. I've never heard this name before. Andrew Rice and a little can I like to call Ryan Gosling. Oh, this movie's yeah. called the nice guys. And this is about a private detective who sucks at being a dad <laughs> and a daughter who is so much better than him at everything. Uh, Russell Crowe is also here, but <laughs> let's talk about these two. Um, she seems to have come to terms and she's slightly older than Addie Taylor, right? She's yeah. I think she's more in like the, the like 12 to 13 range. Okay. So she's, uh, she's late middle school, early high school. And um, she has come to terms with the fact that she has a shitty dad and she is trying to, like, help him through life, help him through his job. Um, and these two together are spectacular. This movie, uh, I everyone knows I'm a Shane Black guy. Yes. He uh, wrote The Last Boy Scout. Uh, he has written many of my favorite movies. This is a movie that he wrote and directed, uh, much like Iron Man 3. Uh, I, I can't say enough good things about this movie. Uh, if you want father-daughter con movies... 
this is not exactly the same, but it kind of is. Please, 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 everyone, watch The Nice Guys. I'm going to. I, I, that's like yeah. the 18th really positive thing I've heard about this movie. It's I've never heard anybody talk about it without really absolutely good. raving. And yeah, you're right. It, it, I watched... I watched it very recently, and it's dynamite. It's it's so good. You got to check it out. But I have heard eighteen different things that all started with this movie never gets any credit. Uh-huh. But <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the, the unheralded has become. It's like the canceled comedian in front of a crowd of a hundred thousand people, <laughs> being like, "Oh, it sucks to be canceled." Oh man. Okay, I'm gonna do the one joke. My pronouns are ha ha. <laughs> woo yeah. All right, joke number two. My pronouns are woo hoo yeah. All right, Taylor, what is your recommendation? And Taylor, if you want to recommend Greg's last joke about pronouns, <laughs> I'm totally, I will back you I up. Do, I, I do want to recommend Greg's last joke about pronouns, actually. That's, uh, <laughs> that's exactly what I want to recommend. Uh, no, I, my recommendation is, listen, it's not, even, it's, it's not even under the wire. It's not unheralded. It's, uh, like, it's simply a movie that I'm sure everyone has seen, but the only thing that, like, this watching this movie made me think was fuck i wish i was watching a different depression era movie about a con artist you guys you gotta watch your brother where art thou it's (laughs) simply it's if you haven't seen this movie it is about a a a charming con artist who is rolling around the depression era south uh encounters some bible salesmen uh, gets into some scrapes, some scraps. Uh, it's 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 based on the Odyssey, so if you like classics, it's right there. Uh, but gang, it's just it's so good, and uh, like I, if you haven't watched it, which is I'm sure probably no one who's who's listening to this podcast, but fucking it's so good. The Coen Brothers, uh, honestly, the entire Coen Brothers like filmography would fit with the sort of vibe that I appreciated from this movie, which is yeah, just, just, some, just some people being slick and slick and sly. Uh, but God, it's so fucking good. You guys is Oh brother. Uh, was that made by the Hudsucker proxy people? That was, Oh, okay. Should, I think I've heard of them. Uh, so a lot of people say you have to see their entire catalog. To their even oeuvre? Begin, yeah. To even begin to understand them. Uh, a, book slash movie slash remake of that movie that I could not stop thinking about this whole time. Uh, is what if you took Addie Prey and replaced her with Maddie Price? Uh, True Grit is Ooh. one of the best books I have ever read in my entire life. It's so fun. Um, the, it's centered around uh, a little girl who, who has True Grit and who basically just tells the world, you have to accommodate me. And she sort of finds her own uh, Rooster Cogburn <laughs> to look out for her. And uh, she makes her own way in the world. And by the end of the movie, you realize, like, she is the toughest cowboy of any of these people. And in the same way that Addie Prey, like, is the natural con man, um, Maddie Price is the, the natural cowboy. And I, take your pick. I mean, the, the, I think the remake is better than the original movie. And I think the book is, read, is better than both. So go yeah. with True gets so good. When we come back, I'm going to tell you who won this episode, and we're going to talk about how far we think Paper Moon can rise. Now, Ryan, you said because Taylor was our very special guest that you would give him a head start. Yes. Um, But then you didn't define what that was, and then you beat him 35 to 31. Uh, How much of a head start were you thinking about giving him? Three points. Three points. Okay, so Taylor, you got really close. 
Uh, ah. You got 34 points. Ryan, unfortunately, did it with 35. Man, good thing, right? Yeah. How do we think the show, this movie is going to do in the bracket? Is it going to be more of a Ryan or more of a Taylor? Ryan, what do you think? <laughs> a winner or loser? Yeah, is it going to be a winner <laughs> or a loser? That that hurts. That actually, that actually, that, that's that, the meanest that thing I've. That's the meanest <laughs> thing I've said too, or around Taylor. <laughs> uh, all right. So while Taylor pulls out his notes to therapist journal, I will uh, answer and I will say, um, I this this podcast, this whole episode surprised me. Um, our focus on the outside of the screen as yeah. opposed to what was on the screen, and our I don't know. I think that we all liked this movie and did not really show that for very much at all yeah i i, I guess you're yeah. right taylor do you agree with that because we did spend so much time talking about everything yeah. exterior to the film it's uh, i definitely i when i was watching this movie i felt extremely warmly towards it and it charmed me and then every moment since then every fact i have learned about the behind the scenes every moment we've spent discussing it and every new tidbit has made me like it less and less yeah um so so like but like that doesn't listen if you go into this movie and you and you can and you have the ability to turn your brain off from the the facts that you know it is it is an extremely warm and charming movie and i had a blast watching it now i'm like i don't know if i would watch it again soon you know but like if our uh, moms texted us right now and like Paper Moons on HBO Max or I'm sorry <laughs> oh god I'm sorry Max uh should I Thank watch you. it I never watched it should I watch it I would say yes I would say yeah. hell yeah, yeah our moms will never know any of the stuff that we talked about tonight And if you didn't know you would never think that that was the behind the scenes story no. of it right And I mean I hate like this sucks to say but like this is the story of Hollywood right mm-hmm. that pain and blood and trauma make our beautiful, cute, wonderful little stories. And we just spent more time talking about this movie's particular way of doing that. But that's every movie, right? I mean, every movie is people suffering to give us something kind of pleasant. And then it we're supposed to disconnect from that. Yeah, like I just think that maybe all children should be CGI and chat GPT. Dude, like from I, now on, like... No more kids in entertainment, No right? more animals, no more kids. Like yeah. I, don't, I don't want anybody to like non-consensually be destroyed for the rest of their life because they were in a movie i uh, at a film festival coming up i think or it already happened i don't remember um ethan hawk my favorite father uh-huh. outside of atticus is directing maya hawk in a movie and i'm not i think that'll go okay she's a lot older than Taylor yeah was, but, but yeah. still you never you never overcome that power imbalance with your own right parents. it's the power thing yeah, I I hope I didn't steer us wrong to spending so much time, but I just like I, I that's the experience for me is is being so um, bewitched by what's on the screen, and then constantly because the character Ryan O'Neill's character is kind of like him, just remembering like oh god, there's all this other awful stuff as a film, which is probably how these things should be judged. It it's it is is very very effective though. It's it's beautifully made. Uh, it's warm, and you come out feeling better until you start pursuing the story. And it like was it one of the first seventies movies that we've had in this season of like eh, linear plot? Fuck that. You know, we'll meander. We'll yeah. we'll have episodes. Like that's what I really like about it. Like almost Altman esque. You know. Yeah, and it it seemed to blossom with that instead of be constrained by it. Right. Overly. 
Well, Taylor, thank you so much for being a guest on our show. Hope to see you again real soon. We have other great episodes coming up, so make sure you check those out. But until then, do me a favor, will you? Hey, keep watching them movies.